Welcome back, everybody, to the morality of everyday things. I'm Jacob. I'm also Jacob. No, I'm actually Anthony. <laughs> he is. That was a lie. <laughs> we'll question that in today's episode. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about everyday moral issues. Long-time friends, studied together, run a couple businesses together. Stash.com, Green. Check them out. Last week we discussed, um, not last week, last time we discussed, uh, what did we discuss? Oh the God. morality of promises. The morality of promises, that's it. And is it unreasonable, sorry, is it wrong to break an unreasonable promise? Hmm. Lots of interesting stuff there. What are promises? What's unreasonable? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. And we uh, had some really interesting feedback from listeners as well, which we uh, we might come to later. But for now, we need to dive into today's episode. Oh, and the question I didn't realize we had user. Is that actually true? Yeah, we actually did. We had Ooh. some people. But yes, today we'll be discussing the morality of buying from Amazon. What's the specific title? Can you tell me word for word? We are going with, are you a bad person if you buy gifts from Amazon this Christmas? Probably. No, we'll discuss that in detail. That's interesting because I think, you know, everyone in the developed world buys a lot of stuff from Amazon, Christmas or not, right? And it's something you hear people mention. I've certainly come across a lot of people saying, I'm trying to avoid Amazon. In the I, same way I, they I, talk about trying to avoid, like, eating meat. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Like, a lot of people, yeah, the same way as, like, I'm trying to avoid driving my car, mm. stuff like that. We'll get into it. That's the point of this conversation. Exactly. Yeah, listen, listen in, people. God, you know what? We've got this fancy new studio and I am in love with the sound of my own voice. More more than you <laughs> more probably so, assumed. More yeah. so than usual. Yes, now all we need is mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we get into that, just very quickly, uh, as we said last time, we're sponsored now like a big boy podcast. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, and speaking of podcasts, Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting studio that you can access from your browser with no installations needed. If you get on the site and send a link to your guests, you can get started recording studio quality audio and now video too. Yeah, you get automatic post-production, all guests have their own audio channels, and all files are stored on the cloud for easy access and peace of mind. So check out Zencaster.com. Be sure to enter the code, the morality of everyday things, no spaces, or access the link in the show notes for a 30% discount on your subscription for the first three months. Sorry to clarify, is that Zencaster.com slash... The morality of everyday things. No, I think you just enter the code when you sign up. Right, okay. So enter it when you sign up. Into the argument. So Christmas coming up. It's the time for getting gifts for a lot of us. Those of us who have friends and family. I think based on our user base, that's probably not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> what, the so friends part of them? <laughs> Both. <laughs> so we wanted to ask a very festive question. Are you a bad person for buying gifts from Amazon? It's festive, I guess, in theme. It's not particularly festive in its sort of cheer, is it? But No, it's a bit grinchy, actually. It is, rather. Um, what we'll do, as always, is start with the definition. Definition number one, what is a Christmas gift? <laughs> Barely needs defining. It's a gift you give some, someone for Christmas. Thank you, Tyg, for that note. <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah, this, this kind of winter-themed, gift-giving, feast-eating, tree-having tradition kind of transcends Christianity, which is uh, worth bearing in mind. So it's not just a Christian thing. Mm. Uh, you know, we say Christmas gift in, for example, Muslim culture they celebrate new years more and mm. they'll give each other gifts for that and you know generally there's this kind of cultural habit of giving gifts around this time of year and it makes sense that it's not just christian since it does predate christianity it's gone by names like yuletide and saturnalia yes 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 mm. uh, and it's something people with different faiths as you say do in all sorts of countries and to be fair it even transcends winter and christmas mm. there's actually a question about general ethical consumerism uh, yes to be had yeah, here yeah, as well. yeah yeah you know what jake it's time to admit it's a shameless it's a shameless hook when actually it's a bigger question. I know. It's clickbait. Yeah. We got you again. Oh, snap. It's a Facebook episode all over again. So, what's Amazon? I think in this episode, we're going to keep it, you know, there's not big loaded moral concepts, right? I mean, Amazon, in case you haven't been in case you have been living under a rock, is a huge platform and delivery service. Mm. Uh, I say platform because they do sell a lot of their own stuff, but they are also a platform for other sellers and they provide delivery. And they're known for affordable prices, fast deliveries. They were the first people to be like, you can get it next day. Mm. Uh, and now it's like the norm. Uh, and they're also famous for terrible worker treatment, which isn't really as as, as fun as the as, <laughs> as the first two things but it you know it's a thing <laughs> it is the way we're going to break this down is we're going to wait so just before we move on amazon has really quickly grown into being like a total e-commerce behemoth i think i think it's something crazy like half of american e-commerce goes through amazon wow and i think the kind of loaded point around amazon that is worth mentioning here is that they're kind of seen as a monopoly Mm. Um, and they do quite a few predatory things. So, for example, I mentioned that they're a platform. Something that they have been in trouble for 
because they're both a seller and a platform provider, often people come onto their platform, start selling their products, and then Amazon launches an Amazon version of their product that's mm. cheaper. So, you know, they're basically testing demand for products by letting other people onto their platform. That's actually a classic example of the sort of um, antitrust laws that the US are looking at, where it's like, should you have to choose between being a seller or being a platform? because you can't be a seller on the platform you control in a way that's fair and competitive. Yeah, the Google had the same thing with selling their own ads, didn't they, on their search? Mm. I'd certainly, yeah, that, that's a big reason why Amazon's been in the news. Yep. There are lots of others and we'll come to all of those. What's another example of a monopolistic super company? I guess I, it, it's Facebook. I guess Facebook and Google. I think are actually, all the big tech ones, to be fair. Yeah, that's but, why they've got the big tech um, fair, cases going fair, on. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, all the, ones, all the ones that you think of when you think of American antitrust, basically. Yeah. I think Amazon is a particularly... Well, Amazon is the biggest, isn't it? That's the thing the other thing is that amazon deals in the physical world i don't mm. know why that in my mind makes it feel so different but there's something about giving me my physical stuff versus like <laughs> i can ignore facebook social media stuff but i need physical things <laughs> <laughs> i have needs <laughs> i have need. you don't understand jacob so uh structure of this episode is gonna be as follows we're gonna look at amazon in a little bit more detail breaking down in a fairly standard way, the pros and the cons, the reasons why you'd want to buy from them, the reasons why you should be concerned about buying from them. And then we're going to break down the question about the specific title question around how important is your individual decision? Are you a bad person if you buy from Amazon? Does it even matter? And we've got a few different ways of looking at that, which we will come to at that point. But for now, let's dive in. We'll start with the pros. You'll find they're relatively shorter, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they, you know, they don't matter. <laughs> while while I, they're, they're, they're shorter sort of... in content, but perhaps not in intensity. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. I'm sure while none of us are fans of their more unsavory practices, there is nowhere as cheap or easy to use as Amazon when it comes to buying stuff. And Ant was just basically alluding to that as well. Amazon is ridiculously easy. <laughs> when you factor in cookies, uh, like internet browser cookies, not cookies that you might buy, although I'm sure they sell those as well, your Amazon page can be customized to show you things that you've looked up before buying stuff that you sort of you know you want didn't even realize you want with one click stuff will be at your door within a day i mean oh. it's just the the simplicity is like Dude, it, mind-boggling it is so satisfying on the amazon app when you select something hit buy now and you just do the slide mm. and it and it's coming yeah that's it it's amazing how much of a deterrent it is having to enter card details security questions stuff like that i also find the same thing with the people outside of tech might not know this but a payment processor called Stripe. Mm -hmm. They're one of the largest in the world. Um, nowadays, actually, when you're checking out somewhere and it's a Stripe checkout, you can just like confirm it. Mm. Like if it's a saved device, it can be like, oh, you know, we already know your payment details. Don't worry. Which is kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely creepy. Yeah. It does feel like Amazon is advancing us towards that kind of wall-y vision of the future where it's right. like, you know, you, you just become endlessly lazy. You can buy everything you need off the device. Mm, it's delivered really it. quickly. Um, and that's, yeah, it's fairly dystopian. Uh, but yeah, as we were saying, they make it very easy, very quick to buy from them. They also sell everything. Uh, you may have come across the book, The Everything Store. Bezos's original concept, or, or, or so the story goes, is that he was like, e-commerce is the future. I'll start selling books, but I basically want to get into selling everything. Actually, there's a really funny meme about that. I think you showed this to me. <laughs> it was like, starts there's up with, a, there's yeah. a picture of basically, if you look at how Bezos has actually progressed as well. Yeah, like you see him in the 90s. He's like this kind of chubby... A uh, half balding nerd, <laughs> and then now that it's like you know, in in the nineteen nineties, I want to sell books, and then there's a picture of him now. He's got like the fully shaved head. He looks like, like Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's like got into good shape. He's got the glasses. He looks cool with the clothes, and it's like I sell whatever the hell I want. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yes, they have got their finger into the uh, into every pie imaginable. It started out as a book thing. To be yeah. fair, they they don't even get enough credit for revolutionizing books. They made ebooks a thing now, right? Yeah, ebooks are amazing. But they sell pretty much everything. Yep, electronics, games, tools, books, groceries. Even that's been one of their latest um, big yep. forays. So you can live almost an entire life supplied basically just by Amazon if you wanted to. Now, the irony is you can't live much of a life if you're actually employed by that company since, <laughs> since they pay a huge portion of their workers minimum wage, which we should actually do an episode of minimum wage. It is surreal that in so many countries, uh, the main two I have in mind are the UK where I live and, and the US just because it's a major Western power, that... Um, there is a minimum wage and lots of people are comfortable like, hey, as long as it's legal, it's not wrong. Like there's a minimum wage, which it's literally not possible to live 
Yeah, because they've actually likely. calculated a living wage, and I find it ridiculous, right? Yeah. There's yeah. A... So I, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, there is like a government issued, like, this is the minimum wage, and this is the living wage. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, well, does it make sense that the minimum wage is lower than the than you can wage? live on? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, as employers, that's something we've always made a point of, right? We've always set the living wage as our, as our minimum benchmark. Wage. Yep. Exactly. Um, but yeah, basically, if you work there, it's, uh, it's no so bueno. But while we're still on the pros, in the name of fairness, there is another important thing to mention. We've kind of alluded to this already. It's their delivery speeds. Um, you used to order things, even from Amazon, you'd have to wait the best part of a week. That was still pretty impressive, but I guess it didn't exactly compete with just nipping down to the shops to get something if you really needed something urgently. Now, I generally find it more convenient to order from Amazon. I'm like, that's actually going to be faster for me when you factor in my time and effort than going shopping for something. I'd rather just order something and get exactly what I want from Amazon within like one to three days. Yeah. Normally yeah. one. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine, but there was a time when, you know, if your package didn't arrive, for example, there was no deliveries on, on weekends. It, mm. it used to be working days early. So like if it didn't arrive on a, on a Friday or maybe a Saturday, then you'd have to wait until Monday. Um, and so it could be that you could order on a Wednesday and not get something until a week later. Because it could be two to three business days. So we've talked about the speed. We've talked about convenience. I guess we've mentioned the price as well. Generally, stuff on Amazon is really good value, or at least mm. equivalently mm. good value to something you'd buy this uh, is, this in, is, in the real world, which is, is impressive. Yeah, I mean, something that we'll touch on more later, but I, I think it's worth talking about now is just the... So we talked about the, the kind of connotation that Amazon is monopolist, right? And when we talk about monopolists, we really think about extraction of value, mm. generally. Like, a you know, a monopolist is someone who takes advantage of the position as the sole seller. But I think it's interesting how, like, Amazon, at the same time, feels like a paradigm shift in monopolist behavior. I'd agree with that. Because Amazon kind of embodies this kind of tech perspective where actually they're recycling their, let's call it rent that's being extracted, that's the economic term, but they're, they're, they're using their monopolist power to actually just recycle it into keeping customers happy and then extend their revenues by launching more services or selling things as cheaply as possible. One of the things they got in trouble for was selling their Echo products at below cost, right? <laughs> Um, so, so it's actually this weird paradigm shift in monopoly where, or monopoly power, where you could see an argument where like they're recycling all of their extra profits into offering a better service or mm. like subsidizing customers in the interest of growing revenues. And, and to some extent that's, that's also subsidized by their tech elements of their business. So like AWS, which exactly. is their servers and stuff that they rent out to other people. But it's interesting how that's a huge change. And that's, you know, if we're talking pros, it's like, actually that's a huge pro. Yeah. Because like, normally, we're getting the easy, cheap stuff that's being subsidized by them. Exactly. Normally when you're a monopoly, the argument is you're the sole seller. You can jack prices up and consumers don't have a choice. And Amazon seems to be going about it the opposite way. They take their surplus mm. and actually put it into making the experience better for customers. Customers. Yeah. And it's fascinating with Amazon because there was a long period of time where they were running basically just like this big experiment. They were putting all their surplus into like delivery, investing loads. They were unprofitable for such a long time. Mm. The investors, mm. I mean, the investors who believed in it obviously um, uh, really paid off. But yeah. there were lots of people like Amazon doesn't make sense. You know, how can it make sense? They're trying to do too much. And then at some point in time, they hit this point where he's like, you want to see if we can make profits? Let's make profits. Adjusted you, you, cost you, mean, you mean the part where they started like letting people buy onto AWS? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> AWS. Was that's a big, really big their, that's their profits um, really but there was certainly a point where they just adjusted their costs made a ridiculous profit in a quarter just to prove that they could and then went back to the operating model of like we're going to recycle surplus into yeah, innovation yeah. just so because yeah they just have the scale in which to do that yeah and I, I guess one big question that's worth considering is just okay amazon is a huge share of the market and they continue to grow by recycling mm. their profits into it but i mean like if you think about monopoly in a, in a true sense like imagine you're in a small town and you need to buy water mm -hmm. and there's only one person who sells water right that's a monopoly they charge whatever they want yeah there are other e-commerce stores mm. like there's there's plenty of independent commerce stores there's plenty of large commerce stores people choose amazon arguably because they're the best yeah and exactly maybe that. maybe there's a dynamics within the marketplace that mean that you know the greater scale you have the greater economies of scale you have first of all to some things like delivery and also to your centralized costs like your tech team who are optimizing your website mm -hmm. you're amortizing that over more um mm -hmm. transactions this is going to be the kind of crux of it like is it really a, a monopoly or are they just really good at being customer centric could you argue it's just the lens through which you look at it if you're comparing e-commerce platforms amazon are a monopoly in the sense that they're the only ones who can deliver on the terms that they deliver on yeah no so that's, that's not necessarily true now as mm -hmm. fulfillment's got better and better but certainly yeah. there was a case to be made that they were the only ones who could deliver at such speed and that yeah. almost like carved out a monopolistic niche mm -hmm. Okay, I, I I see that. I think it comes back to what we were saying earlier, where like the fundamental issue is that they control the platform mm -hmm. and they're a seller. Mm -hmm. And they're using their power as the seller and the platform to advantage their, their own products. That's monopolistic power. 
Mm. That's using the fact that you're in the flat. Sorry, well, we, we've kind of... We have drifted a little bit there. There's yeah. one more pro, which we need to mention before we move on yeah. to discussing the cons, and that is around Amazon's philanthropy. They've done tons of stuff. They've provided housing equity funding, um, making housing more affordable. I think that's mostly in the US. They've done a lot of stuff around disaster relief and mm. response. They did a lot for hunger during the pandemic. They donated 5 million to homeless charities. Let's take that stat on donating food to the hungry, right? They 5 million is uh, <laughs> negligible in the scale of... I know that it was 100 million. No. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Hang on. Where did I get this? Oh, that was the homeless charities was the 5 million. Sorry. Yeah. Um, they donated 100 million to feed Americans during the pandemic, but they did make approximately 100 billion uh, in the first three months of 2021 alone. Yeah. Uh, is they that have profit, a profits up. or revenue? Revenue. revenue. Okay, what was the? Do we know their profit on that was? I'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't take ten percent. Like they probably made about ten billion on in profit on that. There's also a very cynical argument to be made that potentially uh, some of these donations were just a sort of tax avoidance. <laughs> yes, well, that's another thing that we'll come to. So cons. Um, yeah. Last thing. Sorry, just on Amazon's philanthropy, uh, they've also made a big commitment to climate. They made. Uh, they created like a climate fund made a really big pledge around that committed to being net zero themselves by 2040 um so that's that's all that's actually you know that's a potentially quite powerful impact fund they've created there and very lastly is the work of Mackenzie scott so that's bezos's ex-wife mm. who now has a net worth of around 60 billion yeah. divorce. she owns nearly five percent of amazon yeah about four percent i think um mm. which is massive uh, and and she's been doing a lot of uh, quite effective anonymous sort of charitable yeah. giving. Also, I, I would just like to point out, you said Mackenzie uh, Scott, Bezos' ex-wife, she also played a really important role oh, of in, in the early stages of Amazon. So her equity is totally because she deserves it, not just because she's his ex-wife. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a valid point too. Um, so the argument there, the point raised about all that philanthropy is by supporting Amazon, you are directly or indirectly supporting these endeavors too. How much you factor that into your decision is something that we still need to weigh up. For now, let's have a look at the cons. On to the more negative aspects of Amazon. A really, really obvious one to start with and, and a frustrating one is despite being hugely successful, Amazon don't pay their taxes or mm. they definitely don't pay as much as they should. Yeah. In the UK... Again, sorry, we, yeah. we took Amazon as the example for this because it's relevant to Christmas, etc. But this is, you know, all of these companies that we're talking about in antitrust. To be honest, every large company to some extent, I say every, too many large companies, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, etc., are all in the same boat here. Extremely profitable, very low tax costs. Yeah. A uh, lot taxes of them, paid, sorry. A lot of them take advantage of what you were saying earlier about the fact that they were platforms. They were digital. Tax hadn't really caught up, or tax law hadn't really caught up with the expectations around that. Uh, some quick stats in the UK. Amazon paid $293 million in tax, despite collecting $13.7 billion in the same year. Hmm. And that's just in the UK. Um, wait, again, there was that $13.7 billion profit. That profit. about right. I'm not sure. Again, UK profits in a year, profit. that's about a billion We really should have fact-checked this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tiger. <laughs> that's Martha's note. <laughs> but yeah, it means that they're benefiting greatly from doing, uh, effectively doing business on land without paying rent for it, right? paying what they owe, um, which is to say that ultimately any business that's transacting within a country, a nation, is effectively benefiting from all of the effort that goes into making that nation effective and, and, and you know, fair, right? Mm. So one thing I always say, this is similar to the billionaire's argument. A lot of people say like, I, you know, a lot of very libertarian right-wing people might say like, I earned my money. Uh, you know, I worked hard uh, and I was talented, et cetera, et cetera. And the point I always make is like, look, if you were the same person, but you were in Uganda, you wouldn't be in the same position, right? You have benefited mm. from the existence of infrastructure. You've benefited from the fact that everyone is literate. Actually, I don't know what literacy rate in Uganda is, but you get what I mean. Like you, you are surrounded by an environment which has enabled you and made that possible. Absolutely. The same is true for business. The fact that like, you could operate effectively in the UK to generate those revenues. Yes, obviously a large part of that was your work, but you know you also relied on the infrastructure and base of people who wanted, who had the money to buy your product, who could like interact with you. And you rely on stuff that is directly funded by taxes. You rely on a justice system that makes it yes reliable yeah. to do business. I can I can tell you now, it's very hard to do business if you're busy trying to enforce all of your contracts. Yeah, rather than because there's just a a, a norm of trust. Anyway, absolutely. Um, to, so to the tax this... is quite a big point. The tax is important. Uh, and it's yeah. certainly a frustration that a lot of people have with companies, not just Amazon, but companies like Amazon. We have right to remember as well that this this lack of tax that's being paid, huge profits being generated, again, like we mentioned before, is in the context of grossly underpaying many members of staff. Like, yeah. There are many members of staff in the US, for example, who are uh, simultaneously, you know, we'll talk about specific conditions in a bit, working hard, not making much on food stamps, right? Mm -hmm. And And the question is whether that's, acceptable to or should be acceptable to us as consumers right so so jake 
Well, yeah, it's like our friend Kant would say, Amazon are treating people as means rather than ends in that respect. They're exactly. treating people as means to generating profit. And it's arguable that that could be extended to us as consumers. By buying from Amazon, are we treating the workers as means to serving our own ends of uh, consumerism uh, rather than as ends in themselves? Yes, so it's it's that whole kind of argument of like, okay, maybe Amazon is providing things really cheaply and recycling their surplus, but I'm mistreating a bunch of human beings in the process of doing that, and that should never be acceptable from some perspectives. Mm-hmm. And there's also the environment to consider. People often say that Amazon produces a huge amount of emissions from their transport and warehouses. They're not wrong. I'm not a huge fan of that argument because it's not like... It's not like in the absence of Amazon, people wouldn't have stuff and stuff wouldn't need to be got to them, right? Yeah. But you could argue that, like, for example, maybe some of their practices encourage people to overconsume, buy more things than they need. And also, actually, this is a, this is a genuine one. And this is a feature that they should totally introduce. Uh, and, and they kind of have. But sometimes in the interest of speed of delivery, um, environmental factors aren't concerned as, well, as much. So, like, things aren't delivered as efficiently as they could, mm. i.e. several boxes rather than one. Mm-hmm. Um the transport is not necessarily fully efficiently packed yep. uh, because they're trying to get it to you next day. They should really just have an option where it's like eco-delivery will arrive at some point in the next week and will optimize to... And it will also be beneficial for them because if you fill the things more and pack things more efficiently, you actually save money. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, there's an environmental question. I think that's more around consumerism in general, though, rather than specific to Amazon because people would substitute if they weren't buying from Amazon. And what you were hinting at is actually an opinion shared by someone called El Beryl Tocte, who basically makes that point that it's hard to know if e-commerce like Amazon's is actually worse for the environment than alternative forms of commerce that we might engage in, particularly, to be fair, standard brick and mortar commerce. Because there's an argument on the one hand that Amazon actually means that people don't have to travel out to get their stuff. Mm -hmm. They're doing it for you. But if everyone individually was driving around to get things, there's an environmental impact there. So it's kind of, I guess it's the, it's almost an opportunity cost question, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, are these things actually just substituting one? form of mm-hmm. pollution for another yep so i think it's it's worth acknowledging there's a potential for a climate issue but um i think that's i think it's fair to say that we agree that that's more consumerism in general probably not an amazon specific issue i'd say so i'd say so because actually in many ways i think there is potential and especially if they uh, take up your eco idea mm-hmm. there is potential for amazon to actually aggregate that impact uh, across loads of people and mm-hmm. make it more efficient and actually reduce the climate burden it, it sounds like it should be logically yep. true right fair and so one one other thing, we'll skip the uh, Monopoly Commerce Park because we talked about it already. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's worth considering is Amazon is a very active lobbying group, mm. right? Amazon has a lot of political power now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So among their other questionable practices, yeah, they've, they've thrown their weight around in a number of political situations. An example we have uh, from our notes is that in 2018, the Seattle City Council voted to introduce a $275 per employee tax on large employers. Amazon then basically threatened to move offices. Amazon obviously famously based in Seattle they were big enough that the tax got scrapped. Amazon's yeah. resistance to it caused it to, you know, yeah. uh, to be dropped. I know. Actually, another really good example. I can't remember if it ended up happening or not, but there was a there was a whole Amazon making HQ2 or whatever, and a bunch of different cities were basically pitted in this race to the bottom. It was like, who can give us the best tax benefits and we'll set up our HQ? <laughs> and it means a bunch of like highly paid, highly skilled people are going to live in your neighborhoods and mm. spend their money and stuff. And on the one hand, you can see an economically rational argument for that. Like it, it's individually rational for the cities to give them tax breaks. But on the other hand, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, right? it's not how it should work. It's, it's not, not how I want things to work. No, exactly. Like that's just leveraging your scale and adverse power. Like when companies reach the point where they can start twisting your arm to give them benefits just so that you'll be there, Mm. Um, it's an extreme form of bargaining power. There's a misalignment of bargaining power there for sure. And, and I mean, certainly how are smaller, you know, this is then building that monopoly argument where it's like, how are smaller retailers supposed to compete when actually you're effectively buying yourself uh, rents from the government by lobbying that, that, in that way? Uh, another example, an Alabama town. Oh, Tiger was telling me about this. Oh, sorry. Yeah. A bunch of Amazon workers were trying to unionize uh, in Alabama, in a, in a town there. Fair and enough. Amazon did it. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then Amazon, which, you know, they're trying to build their own bargaining power, right? Exactly. What's wrong with exactly. it? Like, if Amazon can go to a city and say, we, we, you know, we'll come if you don't make us pay taxes, why can't workers group together and say, we'll come to work if you pay us fairly? <laughs> exactly. But they did all sorts of shady things to stop that from happening. So they mandated anti-union propaganda meetings. So they installed cameras that they could that they could see they were being watched. Big brother so, is watching. Big, you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the crazy example is when the employees were handing out flyers, trying to canvas their colleagues by a traffic light, and Amazon had the traffic lights uh, timing altered, extending the green time so cars would stop by it for less time, allegedly. You know, allegedly. I don't want to... Don't want to get sued for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's where the story goes. Yeah. Yep. And then, obviously, Jake as well, tons of stuff in the news. 
Yeah, you've probably seen stories around the bathroom breaks. So Amazon drivers apparently were given such tight schedules that basically they couldn't get away with going to the bathroom. So they were having to like pee in bottles and keep them beside them, which is uh, yeah, really, really grim. Mm. I know. And, um, yeah, imagine having to <laughs> drive around with your bottle of piss sloshing around next to you. Yeah. And the salt on the wound was uh, when Amazon started having their vehicle search for urine-filled bottles and other infractions. Yeah, <laughs> it's unquote. ridiculously harsh, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like... no, I mean, it, as in, you know, it's not just peeing you need to do, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> here's my bottle and here's my bucket. <laughs> oh, so grim. Oh. But, yeah, it's ridiculously, um, yeah, really grim, really nasty. And, yeah, I mean, it's the scenario I said before, but imagine you're earning minimum wage driving street to street you don't have enough time to go to the bathroom so you have to pee in a bottle and then you're going to get punished for carrying the bottle around i mean it's just mm. like you're, you're backed into a corner right? I know. yeah i think i think the point that we can kind of agree on there is that in addition to being in addition you know specific peeing example to being inconvenient and disgusting it's, it's quite humiliating and degrading mm. and, and, and and again actually something that, uh, that we didn't have in the notes but it's very well known similar issues within the amazon um warehouse staff mm. working there right I mean, you know, very tightly monitored bathroom breaks, which is, again, very degrading. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to take a shit in peace. Thank you. I don't, I don't, I don't have Jake on my back. Like, where were you for the last 11 minutes? <laughs> the last 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, lots of issues with that. I mean, there, there are reports of people giving birth in bathrooms and like leaving the Jesus. babies there and like oh, i'll grab this later i need to get back to work right and that was, was somewhere yeah. in the u.s there was one where. site that ambulances got called to 118 times in like three years there's uh, wow yeah it's crazy so to sum that those those negatives up because we, we've given you a lot of anecdotes there um you've got bad worker treatment that's a really big one you've mm -hmm. got the fact they're a monopoly there's debate to be had around yeah. there that's debate, just debate around point. debate around monopoly but certainly abuse of power of their scale. Yeah, they've got lobbying power as a result of that, yeah. and that's quite significant. And I mentioned earlier on, but worth articulating perhaps separately, they have the lobbying power, but they also have platform power. Mm -hmm. As in, remember, they're selling, but they also own the platform that everyone else is selling on. And like I said, lots of predatory practice where other people are coming onto their platform yeah. and then Amazon copies their product. Exactly. We mentioned taxes as well. And then we talked about the environmental impact, which I think is interesting because that's when I feel a lot of young people particularly are like, oh, don't buy from Amazon, they're bad for the environment. But that, again, I think is, is more nuanced. Yeah. I, well, to be fair, I would I'd go so far as to say that's just uh, it, it's a naive argument. Mm. It's, it, I mean, it's consumerism. Like, that's consumerism not, that's not an Amazon problem. Yeah, that's not an Amazon problem. That's a buying things problem. Not buying from Amazon, but buying it somewhere else doesn't fix that problem. Okay. So we've weighed up some pros and cons of using Amazon. You've got, on the one hand, all the pros we discussed, you've just gone through all the negatives for you i guess it's time to sort of weigh up how you feel about that and you might decide that actually the pros outweigh the cons and, and, and you're cool with it you're going off to buy your gifts from amazon no problem however this is the point in the podcast where we weigh these things up and we debate them and and we give you a couple of frameworks through which to think about this decision i imagine like us you're probably leaning on the side of the negatives you probably feel slightly uncomfortable with the idea of supporting this big consumerist company and then the question is when you come to make the decision of where to purchase your own christmas gifts how do you decide how much does it actually matter as an individual whether or not you're buying from amazon is one purchasing decision is relatively negligible in the ledger of all their transactions that they do hmm. so there's a question know, to be had I've, there. I've seen how much my brother buys from amazon <laughs> <laughs> mm. there is a question to be asked around can one person's decision really make a difference and that has some good parallels with the topic of voting so we'll look at a couple of frameworks there yep yep i mean it's effectively voting with your money right mm. but we'll, we'll look at whether that's a good analogy we'll also look at the complicit argument for voting and the generalization argument so we'll, we'll dig into those don't worry about specifics for now and then putting that kind of voting analogy to one side we'll look at our two most common frameworks utilitarianism and, and a deontological perspective look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
So let's do that in reverse. Let's start with those yeah. two frameworks and then we'll come to the voting analogy. Let's start with utilitarianism. Uh, so from an act utilitarian perspective, if you remember, that's the kind of like super simple, like specific outcomes, short term mindset, mm -hmm. you know, adding up the goods and the bads, right? Not embedding any sort of like long term thinking about like, oh, but this will under like undermine a norm or, or set a precedent or mm -hmm. anything. Like that. It's just the specific outcomes of these acts. Whether you should or shouldn't do something is based you know, entirely on those outcomes. Even if Amazon is exploiting their employees, if buying from them causes more good than harm, you should do it. It's kind of simplistic. It's a simplistic perspective, yeah. I think I think there's more to be said around the sort of longer term norms there, isn't there? There's, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, taking that act utilitarian perspective, it's basically saying, look, you're looking at the deltas. You're looking at what changes, right? My buying a, a present doesn't change the circumstances at Amazon. So there's no real change there. And I get a convenient gift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, perhaps I can give that to someone and, and they appreciate it. I get a better selection of gifts, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah. It, it seems like it's easy in that kind of, I don't want to say naive, but simplistic utilitarian perspective to say, like, oh, this is, this is a yes. I think, I think if you want to buy your gifts from Amazon, or indeed already have, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is probably the way you find yourself feeling most comfortable about that fact. And that is buying gifts does the gifty a certain amount of good as long as you bought them a good gift and they don't hate it and have to go through the effort of returning it yeah <laughs> uh comparatively your individual purchase as you're saying contributes pretty negligibly to the mistreatment of workers i wouldn't even say pretty negligibly zero like yeah your individual purchasing behavior is not changing that at all it's it, we'll come to this but it's only by taking a more mid-term mm. long-term view or as part of a movement that it really matters go on i agree with that so i think yeah that's how an act utilitarian could say quite simplistically you do more good than harm by buying gifts from amazon or at the very least it's a pretty neutral decision and therefore it doesn't matter you're good yeah yeah, yeah. Also, I mean, we were saying like contributing that negativity to the negatives. If you wanted to bring in the negatives, you could also bring in the positives. You could talk about like Amazon's philanthropy and things mm. like that, right? Although I guess they're a very different scale. Yeah, but you could certainly say supporting Amazon is, you know, uh, that's that's putting momentum behind their climate pledge. It's and momentum. Blue Origin. Do you remember Bezos when he landed? This is all thanks to you, Amazon customers. Oh my God. How to yeah. touch you, my friend. So tone deaf, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks to you, I got to fly to space. <laughs> <laughs> but let's... Let, I mean, we said this is a simple perspective. Let's move on. Jake, tell us about preference utilitarianism. Another perspective, as you just said, preference utilitarianism. That's not based so much on net pleasure caused by an action, but by how many people's goals are furthered by it. I think this is something Peter Singer talked about, right? Mm -hmm. So it's generally a little bit more long-term in its considerations. Otherwise, though, it has that similar kind of weighing up of goods and bads. It's just about having a, a longer time horizon. Generally, in the past, when we talked about it, we've talked about John Stuart Mill as well, haven't mm -hmm. we? And we've talked about like midterm what do you what does he generally call it oh it's just john stuart mill's conception of utilitarianism he just yeah. he just sort of embeds rules yeah right? or he basically brings in kind of higher and lower rights and wrongs in that like he basically uses the argument of like you're creating norms or eroding norms to say that you know effectively you should um have rules rather than just weigh things up every time yeah you um, can have a longer time horizon can't you exactly the important thing the point is really if you're thinking mid to long term taking what we're saying with the act utilitarian stuff Actually, you create a movement, as I say, I say you create movement, but okay, take the Amazon example where we're saying, oh, you know, me buying doesn't affect this person negatively, right? If everyone thinks that way, then nothing changes. But it's also true that if people campaign and talk about it, refuse to pay in large enough numbers mm. and make clear that the reason they're doing that is because they're not happy about this treatment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, match that with some PR stuff, et cetera, et cetera, then actually they can make a change. You can create right? pressure for change. Yeah. You? And then suddenly it's from that perspective, of like the midterm and the ability to make that change that you're like, actually, I can see from a utilitarian perspective that withholding myself from the benefit of their, you know, mm -hmm. sweet, sweet convenience um, <laughs> actually can help come bring about a, a net gain by forcing them to do better by their employees. Exactly. And this is, this is a trend that we're seeing a lot, right? I mean, when you think about sustainability, you think about people basically voting with their wallets, right? People increasingly choose to buy from sustainable businesses, right? Mm. Um, no one's forcing them, but people are willing to pay more to buy from places that align with their morals. Exactly. Right? They're factoring in that moral value. Yeah. And, uh... and then there's this huge feedback loop where more and more companies, some are run by great people, some are cynical business people. Some are like, look, you know what? Sustainability sells, so let's start being sustainable. It's it's creating that feedback loop where, loop where their consumers making clear that that's what they want. So, I mean, you could see a world where even for Amazon, if they're customer centric, understanding, you know what? It seems like customers are, are willing to pay more as long as we actually 
pay mm. workers fair, or, or or even basically recycling profits into paying workers fairly is actually the best way to optimize profits in the midterm because that's mm. what customers want. It improves our brand. Uh, it means that customers will buy with us more because they don't feel bad about it. Yeah, it's all about adjusting those incentives. And it's been really fascinating watching that shift with sustainability because as you say, I mean, there's such a range of approaches to that. Mm. There's a lot of people coming at it from wanting to have an impact and there's a lot of people coming at it because they're like, it's marketing. But at the end of the day, if you want to be really pragmatic about it, it's even even the people who are being cynical about it are at least taking good steps. And that's yeah. quite important. Or the, the, like being forced to. Exactly. I mean, it's really just aligning the incentives, right? Yeah. And it, it's amazing how so many, so many problems are basically solved by you need to take a mid to long term time horizon over which you assess it rather than short term. So many problems are like you are optimizing over too short a time horizon. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so you uh, mentioned the phrase talking, you mentioned the phrase voting with your wallet. Um, yeah. And that links us quite nicely to what we were talking about earlier. Yes, the analogy the of voting. voting. The problem that we're discussing here is the idea of uh, collective action versus individual action and where, you know, an individual action may not matter, but collectively it does. Exactly. Um, so we'll, we'll discuss that in the, in the analogy of voting. And then conveniently, <laughs> because obviously voting is related to policy and government, We'll also talk about the role of policy and government. Yeah, that's super important. The voting thing, I think, is fairly clear. When people come to vote in whichever political party they choose, there's always that question of how much does my individual vote matter? One individual vote is tiny in the scheme of an entire populace's decision to elect a government. And it's exactly the same point we were saying earlier when we are saying your decision to buy one product on Amazon is negligible. From the act utilitarian perspective, it makes no difference to the treatment of workers. It's one tiny action in a sea of much bigger actions. Hmm. And there's a lot of philosophers who have interesting thoughts around this. There's some guys called Campbell, Guerin, and Miller, writers of the book, The Voter Decides. And they argue that people should vote even when they don't think that the party they want to win does have a genuine chance of winning. They basically, they're, they're sort of fans of like vote regardless. Participation in democracy is basically a duty. And and you could possibly extend that here and just say, hmm. doesn't matter if your individual purchase is small, you have a duty to consume responsibly. Ah, I like that we finished the <laughs> nice. sentence there. Um, yeah, so you could definitely extend that. And it, I guess it's 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 basically, that's a, I don't want to say heuristic, because I'm sure that they have a more thought through reasoning for it. I mean, they're calling it a duty. It's not a heuristic. But it, it, it's, it happens to be a convenient heuristic for generally leading to beneficial outcomes. Because, you know, we'll, we'll discuss a bit the idea of uni- universalization or generalization and why that doesn't work. You know, mo- most people argue that there is a moral obligation to vote, like, like they say, but... Um, it's not necessarily a duty, I think, no. is the thing, right? Most that's, people might say this the, is not a, a, not duty, a duty. is a stronger position yep. to take. Uh, there is an argument that should be familiar, you know, from the Kantian perspective we talked about. It's called the uh, the generalization argument. So his whole uh, universalizable rules uh, as a way of determining what's right and wrong. Uh, it goes that if the behavior of abstaining from voting was universalized, nobody would vote, which is, you know, why everyone's afraid of the outcome. Uh, that would be disastrous. Uh, but the funny reply by Lomaski and Brennan, say they, they say that actually the act of not farming uh, could be universalized and then we'd all starve, right? But that's obviously a ridiculous uh, universalization. Mm. They're of the opinion that an all or nothing approach like universalization is faulty and that for certain actions, there's merely a sufficient amount who should be doing it. It's, it, it comes back to what you're saying about in previous episodes about a kind of economic equilibrium, yeah. right? People naturally have a feedback loop. Take the example of farmers. If not enough people are farming, the price of food goes up, so more people are incentivized to farm and then you end up with a balance of people for whom it makes sense it doesn't mean you know the the converse of you know if no one farmed would starve is not so everyone should farm yeah exactly that's not the conclusion uh the universalization doesn't work on both ways and the same is true with voting you could argue i guess it's slightly different and and you know as long as you care about having your preferences manifest in the election you should vote but there are just going to be some amount of people who don't care enough and Mm -hmm. and the fact that they don't vote doesn't necessarily mean that democracy fails Mm. (laughs) so so let's relate this then yeah so in the context of Amazon, you know, we've talked about this this voting analogy and we say, okay, it doesn't make sense to think about it in universalizable terms, one. And then two, you could see an argument that, you know, per- perhaps we have a duty to consume responsibly. So is the outcome that for some people for, who have the benefit of, you know, perhaps less necessity for the price and convenience, they should balance their duty and abstain from Amazon in order to create that incentive to create the change that they want the same way that you know I'm not saying everyone has to vote mm. and, and certainly not everyone has to vote a certain way but everyone should you know be considerate and then to the extent that the outcome is generally good for the populace that doesn't seem unfair I can see that being a fairly reasonable position to take which is that if Amazon meets like your your, your sort of needs if, it, if it's literally like on a needs basis and mm. Amazon is your best option and it's gonna push you into difficulty to consume more responsibly because Amazon is just the most affordable way to meet your standard of living mm-hmm. then fair enough I mean there are, there are people for whom that makes sense but there are people for whom 
they will have more choice. They will have more flexibility. And actually, if they can afford to consume responsibly, disagree with Amazon's more unsavory mm. practices and mm. think that they actually should be putting pressure on Amazon that way, then uh, then they have a duty. Well, no, do, do they have a duty? Duty is such a strong word. Mm. But they can certainly consider the responsibility of, of branding yep. in that way. It links, interestingly, to uh, there's another argument which you mentioned, which is the complicit argument. And in the context of voting, that's the claim that if you don't vote, you're complicit with the injustices of the government that gets elected because mm. you didn't do anything to try and... Uh, to try, try and, and stop, stop them. them. So to try and fail is different to not trying at all. Yeah. Right? So, so voting against the government and, and still the same government is in power is different to not doing anything to try and oppose it. And I think in this case, the analogy there is continuing to consume from Amazon, even though you have a choice not to, mm. does make you complicit. I think that's stronger. I think it's actually stronger to say yeah. if you're buying from Amazon, you're complicit with their unsavory practices. Yep. It's almost a strong position than saying if you don't vote, because at least if you don't vote, like yep. it's not like you've elected the government. Whereas yeah, yeah. actually when you're buying from Amazon, you are directly yep. financially supporting. Yeah. I, I have one thought. So earlier we were saying, you know, perhaps you could make a similar argument to the sustainability industry where you understand your role as a consumer mm -hmm. is, can be part of a feedback loop that changes the behavior of more and more companies, right? Mm -hmm. The difference there is that, you know, I'm, if I'm saying the space of quote-unquote sustainability, we're talking about lots of independent players, typically. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I can buy from smaller brands, etc., right? Perhaps you don't quite have the same mechanism when you're buying from Amazon or, or abstaining from buying from Amazon, right? Perhaps actually it's much more PR and NGO and policy focused stuff, and we'll come to policy stuff in a minute, that actually can effectively do that, as opposed to a more diverse and competitive market of products like in sustainability. Well, it would take a lot to hit them financially. Yeah. Like but, it would actually take businesses moving off AWS would probably yeah, be a far yeah, bigger impact yeah, than individual consumers yeah. not buying their gifts. Yeah. And I mean, like the biggest moves that we've seen really have been more as a result of PR as opposed to, as opposed to consumers withholding cash. Mm. I know I put forward the argument and I made that analogy to sustainability or perhaps meat eating, right? But, which is just a subset of sustainability. But yeah. maybe the fact that it's a monopolistic market means that it's less able to respond to like that sort of change. Like it can't see as well the kind of shift in the way that people are spending and then change their strategy the way that like a marketplace of many different businesses can. Do you see what I mean? I think so. Yeah, basically... You know, me not choosing to purchase from some businesses and then choosing to purchase from sustainable businesses. And then people can look at that and see like, uh, as in, you know, industry analysis can say like, hey, more people are buying from these sustainable businesses. NYU Business School does a study and it's like sustainable businesses grow five times faster. Mm. Like, and then, you know, the overall marketplace can adjust, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't buy from Amazon, you know, what does that inform? Like, does that create that same feedback loop? Like, is there enough industry analysis? And I think that leads quite nicely on to what I guess is our biggest point, which is that what is the most effective way of putting pressure on Amazon? And probably there's an argument to be made there that it's actually, it's going to be more effective for governments to take that responsibility than it is for yep. individuals. So nice quote here. If Amazon is predominantly exploiting loopholes in the law, then should not the law be fixed to solve these problems rather than putting the burden on individuals and shaming those who cannot afford to exercise their individual voting power? Yeah, quote voting power. I guess in this case, it's voting with your wallet that's yep. referencing. Uh, do we know who that quote's from? I think it's from Martha. <laughs> Martha, Martha, our production assistant. Yeah. Oh, Martha, that's an uh, you're very, um, wait, is verbose? Eloquent. Eloquent, yes. Verbose is actually a negative, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're very, yes, you're, you're very eloquent. Thank you for that. So there's a danger that by even discussing the duty of individuals, we're distracting from the greater issue of governmental responsibility, right? So, I mean, the example we gave earlier where governments uh, or cities were, you know, negotiating tax breaks to, in, to bring mm. Amazon to their city, like, Really, what should be happening there is some sort of government oversight that says, no, you're not allowed to like change your tax rules for one company. Mm, exactly. As yeah. an example. Well, by making an issue where we shame individuals for their purchases, we are placing responsibility for Amazon's free reign on people who are probably the least equipped to combat it, rather than governments whose job it very much is to combat exactly that kind of exploitation, to, yeah. to combat tax avoidance, to combat poor treatment of workers and, and all, yeah. all the others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's taking it back to what we were saying earlier, or that analogy I gave earlier, Amazon's platform and the e-commerce is not an analogy, sorry. It's just a statement. They're both the platform and a major seller on that platform. Mm. You know, is it the place of customers to, for example, not buy Amazon prod uh, branded products on Amazon or not buy from Amazon at all? Or is it the place of government to come in and say, hey, you need to separate these two businesses because it's not fair that you have you, that you have control over, you know, the where you're selling the stuff and what you're selling? Exactly. So to make a meta point, in addition to the morality of buying from Amazon, there's also the morality of talking about the morality of buying from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> meta. In addition to, to the argument that it is a distraction to shift the conversation to what the individual can do rather than discuss um, governmental or policy changes. There's the argument that it's unfair 
Yeah, focus well, this is the key point, basically, right? right? Is, so to quote, uh, uh, and this is from Matt Beard. Matt Beard, he's a philosopher, it's an article he wrote in The Guardian, uh, there seems to be something uniquely cruel about creating a system that determines ethical seriousness by purchasing behavior, thereby stigmatizing the poor and lightening the load on the wealthy. This only becomes more egregious when you consider the various ways in which wealth is accumulated under capitalism, often on the backs of the same workers who can't afford not to be complicit in the ethical missteps that often end up lining the pockets of the very same elites who can then afford a clean conscience. I think a really good analogy here is veganism. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, thinking exactly the same. Yes. Thing. I, you know, I, I I, can't remember who, but there's some Made in Chelsea, some, you know, D-list celebrity, <laughs> terrible reality TV show about posh people in, in London, right? You know, there's this thing where, like, they're posting, I remember I was talking to, I think a girl who, who uh, was vegetarian, wanted to be vegan. I can't remember. I had, Take, take, take that as the context. And we're looking at this thing and they're posting all this stuff on Instagram. And this girl says, you know, this really annoys me. And I'm like, why? And she's like, if I could eat at all the fancy vegan restaurants every day and have everything delivered mm. to me, then I'd be as vegan as she is. But I can't. So it's hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's the same thing with Amazon here, right? It's exactly Matt's point that poorer people don't generally have the luxury of choosing to shop from other places. So in order to be buying from other places, they need to be spending more, which makes their day-to-day quality of life take a hit. Whereas, as you're saying, for rich people, for the made in Chelsea folks, it's much easier to afford to spend money elsewhere. And it doesn't really have a noticeable impact on their lives. I mean, if you're eating at Lux vegan restaurants, it probably improves the quality of your life. I don't know. It, it makes much less of an impact. And that's Matt's point. He's saying you're putting an unfair burden on people to consume responsibly. Uh, the pressure should be uh, leveled elsewhere. So when you're at the bottom of that poll, there can be a strong pull towards like, okay, actually, if I don't have that much money, simple one, you know, <laughs> Amazon is selling their little voice devices mm-hmm. below cost, right? And I want to buy like a little tech thing for my parents and I, or I don't know, my family or whatever. I don't have that much. This is a really convenient, easy way an affordable way to get like a little tech gift for someone. And that's great. As you move up into the kind of, you know, I'm wealthy, range you, you it tends not to make a difference you know whether you have a million or 900,000 it's you know it, it doesn't change your you, you've gone way past the point where you know you can think about changing your behavior but you do reach a point where suddenly not only do you have this ability to change your buying behavior but you can come back around to actually being incentivized for Amazon to do well because you move into the era area of being an equity holder mm. suddenly you you are you're not just like thinking about how you're allocating your your payments but you're thinking about okay, I actually own a stake in this company and have a. I'm, I'm embedded in the system that wants it to succeed. Yeah, yeah, which can which can easily happen. And I guess uh, on the other hand, there's an irony that many Amazon employees probably end up being exactly the kind of people who uh, I'm talking about the sort of workers, uh, warehouse workers and stuff. They probably can't afford to shop elsewhere. So what little money Amazon does pay them, chunks of it go straight back into uh, into Amazon and they end up feeding the company that is exploiting them. Apparently, I don't know this is definitely true, but apparently they get up to a 10% discount, up to a th- thousand dollars worth of purchase uh, per year on Amazon, which again, further incentive to feed the system. It's kind of cool though. I mean, it's, it's a benefit. It is um, a perk. It's a perk. But in the history of Amazon, this must have happened. There must have been a warehouse worker who's packed their own Amazon uh, <laughs> parcel, right? That That's must have been. <laughs> They're like, wait, why don't I just take it home now? <laughs> Before we wrap up, I just wanted to make a sort of concluding point then and that, that's around the burden on the government because I, I i think this is my personal position is that i think amazon exposes a lot of current loopholes in mm. regulation mm. amazon exploit them an individual boycotting amazon probably wouldn't really make much difference towards closing these loopholes mm. whereas i think governments it would really well, have that power i don't want to say that but it would take a significantly larger movement than currently exists it would take a lot more as well than just one person being like i'm not buying it would take something vocal you need a sort of greta of amazon yeah. well this is this is what i'm saying where i was like does it have the same feedback loop as like a dynamic smaller market with many players i don't think so i think y- like you would need the combination of a very meaningful number of people such that they could actually notice it in mm. terms of financials at least in a region i'm not saying it needs to like really hurt them like make them non-profitable or something but like enough that they're like oh you know here's a signal Mm. but it would need that vocalization because it's not the same as when you have like 50 different players and you've seen people's choices you can you can infer a lot about what they're thinking from it when there's like two players or three Mm. players changes in choices are harder to it's harder to infer why they're making those changes because you can't see like a wider selection of what they are and aren't choosing yeah you mean there's less of a pattern or yes yeah Yeah. yeah. it's just less dynamic market Um, my final concern, though, and this kind of goes back to the Amazon HQ2 question, is how much power does the government really have to restrict Amazon? As in, do they literally have that? Do Amazon have too much power now? Has it got to that point? 
I think the difficult thing is that for most tech companies, uh, or most companies in the history of the world, I'm thinking about like Standard Oil, right? The original monopolies. The original monopolies. You know, the, the irony is people think like, oh, okay, look, governments broke them up, etc. before. There was a time where Standard Oil was 90% of the market. By the time that they actually got broken up, they were like less than 50% of the market. And actually, because they went from privately held to publicly held, actually the value of the separated companies was higher mm. than the agglomerated privately held one. <laughs> so it wasn't as much of a success as people think. But, I, but what really happens is that you get paradigm changes, right? Par you get changes in the way that people behave, which ultimately disrupt companies. The thing that's scary now is that you have these huge, powerful companies who are lobbying government so effectively more than ever before and controlling um, voting behavior to the extent that maybe they'll be able to kind of jump power across paradigm changes. So like, mm. you know, an example would be Facebook and their focus on metaverse, right? Mm. If the metaverse becomes a real thing and they're like the owners or large players in it, that would be successfully jumping a paradigm mm. from like, from, you know, web-based social media to basically the kind of next like ready player infrastructure. One <laughs> yeah, next infrastructure layer for technology, which is scary. I mean, look, my honest opinion, um, I'm going to go through a few different things. We mentioned philanthropy. The philanthropy is uh, nonsense. Like the scale of the philanthropy is nowhere near enough. And also, I really don't like philanthropy as a justification for extreme wealth, either for individuals or businesses, because ultimately it's not following any rules. And also, you know what? Like, I, I think the f this is kind of Marxist, but like ultimately philanthropy wouldn't need to exist if government was receiving enough funding to do what it needed to do and you know, like charities exist to fill holes that governments are unable to it's fill. It's true. In an ideal world, you wouldn't have charities. Governments would just be able to address these social problems directly and yeah. you wouldn't feel the need for this to be the case. No. And it's what we said about philanthropy before. We, we referenced this in the Billionaires episode, so check that one out if you haven't listened to it already. Mm. But that is literally like, yeah, uh, why why do we put so much faith in one individual's decision? It's it's the same thing with Bill Gates. It's the yeah, same thing if with only there was even McKenzie sort of, Scott. Yeah. Like, if only there was some sort of large institution whose sole job was to like <laughs> organize and distribute this sort of stuff, yeah. right? It's a ridiculous amount of wealth to concentrate in one person's hands and, and, and for them or to make one that companies. decision. Or one company's. And yeah, how much it relies on putting a lot of faith in their goodwill. And, yep. and actually you see with the likes of Zuckerberg, you see with Bezos flying off into space and being like, oh, gee, you guys helped me create this. Thank you. You're mm. like, you know, how much, how much, uh, yeah. How much do you want to back that? Yeah. But ultimately, I do think that the, the solution to this problem is a, is a solution of policy. I, yeah. think, I, I don't think there's enough of a feedback loop between individual behavior. And ultimately, I think the weirdest thing is that, like, to the extent that they are a monopoly, like, it's a different form of monopoly where they're recycling their profits into helping people, which means that you're not going to see that individual behavior realistically happening. Like, mm -hmm. There's not enough harm. There's not enough moral impetus because ultimately you can see them as being beneficial to consumers. Interesting. So what's your personal stats? I mean, I know you... I mean, we buy stuff from Amazon for the office. Yeah. Will you buy Christmas presents from Amazon? <laughs> I'm, I, okay, my, my perspective is I'm comfortable purchasing from Amazon, but I will heavily support and advocate for any political change. Ultimately, I think that there needs to be significant restructuring of the business probably to separate, for example, separating out platform and selling, uh, for example, probably spinning out something like AWS. And ultimately, I don't think that consumer pressure is enough to do that. I mean, Amazon is interestingly taking some proactive steps in, for example, minimum wage stuff. And I remember I was reading something in this and there, it was like a business analysis that was saying, look, like Amazon is understanding that they're more able to do this than their competitors. So they're squeezing competitors by taking a moralistic stance on it. You know, they, they were volunteering right, right, to raise right. wages, for example. But I don't think that that's um, like sustainably enough that they're doing. Interesting. So if Amazon were to sort out their poor treatment of workers and they were to pay them all properly and actually make Amazon a nice place to work in the warehouses, which it's absolutely within their power to do, would that for you make you like, would that make the issue go away? As in, if, if that was addressed, oh, and maybe they actually like, you know, pay taxes that are due. At that point, are they... Are there any even concerns? Yeah, I, to be honest, I think the two that I'm concerned about mostly are those. Yeah, Because I think we could set the environmental stuff to one side. Mm. Um, I guess I, the other thing is that, you know, coming to the abuse of power and the political stuff, it's even if someone chooses not to or isn't doing it, like the fact that someone has the level that much power, that much power is, is concerning. You know, it's it, it's the same reason that, for example, in government, we separate elements of power and they can counterbalance each other. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, whereas we're lacking that in a competitive market. Mm. So that would be my concern, too. So I think, yeah, there's enough concerns to be had around Amazon to make you question the decision uh, whether or not to purchase them. But I do agree. I think in terms of actually addressing the problems that we're directly concerned with, which we've talked about plenty now, governmental action, policy response is the way that we need to, uh, to make that happen. Nice. Cool. Good way Great. to wrap that up. Yeah. Guys, long one. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts, do message us. We will catch up 
very soon. Thank you all for uh, leaving yeah. your feedback and leaving your reviews in future episodes. We'll try and make more time to, to read those out and discuss them. But we, yeah, yeah. we do really appreciate it. And thanks to Tig, who's here with us now. Martha Caddick. Uh, Tig just waved again. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kane Hunter Digital. Yeah. The Digital is the name of his company. It's not his, not his name. Um, they call his name though. Kane yeah. Digital. <laughs> Kane Digital. Kane Hunter Digital. Thanks to all of you. Have a good day. Thank Thanks. you to the Dream Factor as well and to Zencaster. See you next time, guys.